Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for February 2021, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with author Sandra B. Tews about her book, Levon, From Down in the Delta to the Birth of the Band and Beyond. It's a dazzling, epic biography of Levon Helm, the beloved, legendary drummer and singer of the band. He passed away in 2012, but the music lives on forever. He sang the anthems of a generation, songs like The Weight Up on Cripple Creek and Life is a Carnival. Helm's life story told here through sweeping research in interviews with close friends and fellow musicians is the rollicking story of American popular music itself. Levon traces a rebellious life on the road from being booed with Bob Dylan to the creative cauldron of Big Pink, the Woodstock Festival, World Tours, The Last Waltz, and beyond with the man Dylan called one of the last true great spirits of my or any other generation. Author Sandra B. Tews digs deep into what Levon Helm saw as a devastating betrayal by his closest friend, band guitarist Robbie Robertson, and Levon's career collapse, his near bankruptcy, and the loss of his voice due to throat cancer in 1997. And yet, Helm found success in an acting career that included significant roles in Coal Miner's Daughter and The Right Stuff. Regaining his singing voice, he made his last decade a triumph, opening his barn to the Midnight Rambles and earning three Grammys. I began my interview with Sandra B. Tews by asking her why she decided to write a book about Levon Helm. First of all, I don't want to write about someone I don't respect and admire because you're spending a few years with this person. And, um, Levon was such a compelling figure, both um, personally and musically. And um, when I I interviewed him in 1996, um, I was just so struck by his friendliness and generosity. And so I did some further research, and I really became convinced that there was more to say about Levon than was in his autobiography. What did you feel was not in in his autobiography that you wanted to specifically address in your own book? Well, there are more details about um, his early life growing up in Turkey Scratch, and uh, and there were a few periods of time that, um, for instance, uh, after the first Dylan tour that the Hawks did backing Bob Dylan, uh, there was a period of almost two years when uh, Levon quit the Hawks, and there's hardly been anything written about that. And so I was really interested to find out what he did during that time. And so I investigated that and was able to put that in the book. And then a lot of people weren't too familiar with what he did in his later years. Yeah, true. I mean, he had a really vital, I mean, gosh, I've been playing his music yeah. for a long, long time, and not just with the band, but he, he released one really excellent album after another, well, after the, the band had broken up. So so how did this guy mm-hmm. from from Arkansas get to get to join this group? We always associate the band, the Canadian band, Canadian band, and yet, yeah. how did this this guy from Arkansas join, join the band? It's quite a fascinating story that you tell. As I said, 
say uh, he was raised in Turkey Scratch, Arkansas, which is a small cotton-growing community. And um, Levon grew up mostly playing guitar, but by the time he was in high school, he was also playing some drums. And when fellow Arkansan Ronnie Hawkins needed a drummer for his new band, The Hawks, uh, Levon signed on, even though he was quite inexperienced. Um, and then the, as soon as the Levon graduated from high school, which was in 1958, um, the Hawks headed for Canada, for southern Ontario, uh, because they knew that the clubs there were less violent, uh, they were more likely to get paid, um, and the audiences um, loved their brand of southern rockabilly. Talk to you about how the other members of the band all all got together. This was just such a, just one of these groups where everyone had so much talent and the band literally became more than the group members, you know, how like the certain group yeah. where it's just so magical, like with the Beatles, you've got all of these talented guys. And then there's just so something so extraordinary that they, that they do together. That's even beyond what, what they are individually talk talk about uh, the the other members of the band and and what were some of their key uh, events that were the catalysts of their career back in their early days well when the hawks started off of course they were all american and then uh, as they spent more and more time in canada a lot of young musicians would be hanging around and um, Ronnie and Levon got to hear the local talent in Ontario. And uh, Robbie Robertson was the first one who was hanging around. And uh, he actually wrote a couple of songs that the uh, group recorded. And then gradually he came on board as a bass p- player first. And then uh, the other members, uh, Rick Danko, who um, was a fabulous vocalist, and uh, he played, he took over on bass. And then Richard Manuel uh, joined. Um, Levon thought that Richard was the, the real singer in the band. Uh, Levon just loved Richard's voice, and he also played keyboards. And then, um, According to Levon, Garth Hudson was really the the key component that really elevated the group uh, because Garth had uh, a lot of, he was formally trained in music and he could play anything and he really helped the band move to a higher level. And how did they get signed to Capitol Records? What, what was the big break? And how, how did they first get associated with, with Bob Dylan? Um, when the band was still called the Hawks in 1965, they were playing at a club in New Jersey called Tony Martz. And um, the, as the story goes, uh, Levon got a phone call from Bob Dylan, and he, he had heard of Bob Dylan, um, but... It, he wasn't high on Levon's radar. Uh, Levon was into jazz at the time. And uh, Dylan had heard uh, about the Hawks, and he needed uh, a, a guitar player and a drummer to back him on a couple of gigs he was doing um, at the Hollywood Bowl and in New York. And so that... That was how the first two members of the Hawks started playing with Bob Dylan. And then um, 
shortly after that, Bob signed on the whole band to back him, and they did. They went on tour, quite an extensive tour, and it was during that tour that Levon quit the Hawks for almost two years. And the whole tour with with Dylan was this notorious when you know Dylan went electric, and it just seems so ridiculous in 2020 to, to think about of an audience, audience after audience who would buy tickets to a show and take that opportunity to just boo the band when they played songs with electric instruments. Can you give us some kind of context, Sandra? I, I think for contemporary audiences, and even for, for older people like me, I still just scratch my head at how this all came to be and why the audience members were um, like that idiotic. <laughs> I mean, like, just yeah. just leave if you don't like it. Why are you sitting there booing these guys? And it really affected, especially Levon Helm, didn't it? This was not fun. Yes, it, no, no. Night after night to be booed when, you know, Levon, one of his main reasons for being in music was to entertain people and to spread the enjoyment around, and all he was getting were boos. Um, when during this tour, the first half of the show was just Bob Dylan playing his folk songs acoustically. And so a lot of the folk stalwarts came for that. And then during the intermission, um, as Levon and his road manager would roll out his drum kit, that was as soon as the people, a lot of these folkies saw the drums come out, then they started booing. And there were times that were throwing fruit at the band. And it was just, it was a terrible experience for them. And they, at some point, were wondering, well, maybe we are bad. And then they would listen to tapes of their shows and say, no, we did a really good job. So um, we've on... Uh, Someone told me, a good friend of his, that he didn't think that Levon's primary reason for leaving was because of the booing, that Levon had more backbone than that. But uh, he was just fed up. And and, and some people apparently had uh, said something negative about Garth Hudson, and Levon was such a loyal person that he couldn't take that. And so he just thought it was better to just go away and... Uh, and hopefully come back when things were different. And he didn't want, you know, they'd left Ronnie Hawkins because they didn't want to have, they didn't want to be someone's backing band. And here they were with Bob Dylan being a backing band again. And that wasn't what Levon had envisioned for the group. So incredible to to look back at the, the band's albums, which were so unlike anything else really that was going yeah. on back back then i mean we didn't have the term for it then but uh, they were essentially the founders or certainly one of the founders i guess of what we call what americana music these mm-hmm. days or something like yeah. that and i i remember again with a, a lot of artists ahead of their time even uh, for me david bowie i didn't understand the ziggy stardust persona 
I didn't get the band either at that time. Hey, I was into all the psychedelic stuff like everybody else was in the late 1960s. And uh, that's what makes art just so compelling that that it'll always be there for you. It may take us a while to catch up to something that uh, what uh, that people are doing. And this was just such a return to roots with this music. And I just love how it, Mm -hmm. it still sounds so it still sounds so contemporary, uh, unlike a lot of music yeah. from the late 1960s, which sounds so, um, you know, dated and of its time. Mm-hmm. And that's what part of what that's I love right. the, about the band so much is the timelessness. Well, take us into the, the highs and lows uh, of the band and, and your assessment of, of this group and how Levon Helm made it so special, Sandra. Well, uh the original band uh, continued until 1976, and during that time, um, most of the material that was recorded by the group was in um, credited. The songs were credited to Robbie Robertson, and that caused a lot of um, animosity within the group because Levon and um, Rick Danko, too, really believed that it was a collaborative effort and that uh, Robbie shouldn't have gotten credit for all of that songwriting. So that really made things break down, um, starting with their third album. And uh, But but Levon didn't want the band to end. He really strongly felt that there was a lot more that they could do, but uh, Robbie just didn't want to continue, so he left, and the band fell apart. And um, they did reunite without Robbie Robertson in the mid-1980s, but they never were able to regain the huge audiences they had as the original band. So, you know, they did struggle quite a bit. And then, um, as I say in the book, in the late 1990s, Levon was, uh, diagnosed with throat cancer, and he com- the radiation treatments completely took away his singing voice. Mm. So that ended the reunited band. They couldn't continue without uh, Levon singing. So um, they got pretty desperate there for a while for Levon. And this con- this animosity between Robbie Robertson and, and Levon Helm continued. For a long, long time until the very end of Levon's life, there was a, there was a, a reconciliation of, of sorts. Is that right? No, no. Um, as Levon lay dying, he was unconscious when Robbie Robertson came to visit him in the hospital. Hmm. So um, Robbie, I don't know what Robbie had to say, but Levon was not conscious so there was no reconciliation and Mm. from what i've heard of people that were close to levon you know once you um were disloyal or you did something that he felt was wrong you never got another chance you know he was pretty adamant that way and and was really a champion at nursing a grudge 
And again, this all stems from uh, Levon's claiming that he and the rest of the band should have gotten songwriting credit, not just Robbie Roberts, Robertson. And this isn't just names, you know, on an album. The, the, the main reason this has to do with money, doesn't it? Can, can you give us some yeah. background a, about why this was so important financially and why Levon felt that he and the other band members were being robbed of a lot of money? By Robbie Robertson? Yes. Yes. Well, um, you know, as young men would, uh, especially in their, um, as in band, in a band like this, successful band like they were, a lot of them were just partying and not taking, making attention to um, the business side of things. And Robbie was very close with their manager. So, um Somehow, Robbie got credit for most of the songs, whereas I say uh, Levon was adamant that it was a collaborative effort. Um, but unfortunately, Levon never specifically defined what he meant by collaboration. Hmm. Um, if he meant arranging a song or coming up with a distinctive drum beat, that doesn't fit within the legal definition of songwriting. So that could be a factor. Um, but nevertheless, Levon um, was credited as being a co-songwriter before Robbie Robertson joined the Hawks. And then after the original band broke up and for the rest of his career, Levon co-wrote several songs. So it just doesn't seem realistic to me that during their most creative period with Robbie Robertson that he didn't contribute more. And also Rick Danko, as soon as the original band broke up, he released an album, and all of the songs on that album were either co-written or solely written by Rick. So, you know, it just, again, doesn't seem credible that Rick wasn't um, able to contribute or didn't contribute more to the original songwriting of the band. Mm. It was not easy for Levon after the band broke up on a number of levels. I mean, he was fighting cancer for a, a long time. He had financial mm-hmm. issues. And there was a terrible fire as well. What, give, tell us about yeah. some of these other things that happened to Levon. Uh, life wasn't wasn't always uh, glorious for him after the band oh, broke no. up. Yeah, well, he had some really good ideas for new groups, but nothing quite worked out. And then, as I say, in the mid-1980s, the band was reunited, the band was reunited without Robbie Robertson. Um, But they struggled, and Richard Manuel, um, it was really hard on him, apparently, not having the... uh, size of audiences that they had before you know they're playing smaller places and and on the road all the time just a real struggle and um and towards the end of that as i say in the late 1990s levon wasn't well and yeah it was a real struggle what was the fire that that happened to levon helms this was at his house when when and where did this happen Well, this was um, in the 1990s, and um, the the farm um, that Levon lived in a barn, and that was a a a combination recording studio and home. And this was in Woodstock, and uh, 
it apparently a, a cat woke Levon and his wife up in the night, and uh, they just barely got out with the clothes on their backs. Uh, Levon's father was staying with him at the time, and and they and they were he was running around in his underwear, and they didn't even have clothes. They had to get clothes, and um, the. The insurance wasn't sufficient to rebuild the barn, and so it was a really hard time. His performance career and what about the last so over decade of his life really revolved around the these midnight rambles. I have other uh, musician friends who were always telling me, Martin, you got to go see one of these. There's just yeah. nothing like it. I never was able to go to one of the midnight rambles. Did you ever attend one? What were these all no. about, Sandra? No, I didn't. It just, it's so awful. You know, I was living in Toronto and uh, I wish so much that I had gone down there, but I didn't. Well, what were these rambles for people who may not be familiar? What are these all about? Well, Levon opened up his barn to um, informal concerts and he'd have different musical guests come. And it was it wasn't um, like a rehearsed thing. They would just um, play together, and if they made a mistake, they might just start again or laugh it off. And um, people would sit around. Um, they'd bring chairs and sit on the floor, and, and people were encouraged to bring potluck items like casseroles and snacks and things. And it was supposed to be just like getting together in someone's living room. Wish I could have been at one of these. Wish I could yeah. have been at one of these. He kept playing until the very, very end of his life. This man had a, a will to live and, and a love of music that uh, is matched by few other people. To, to, what, what's his legacy? What, what, what do we need to remember most uh, about Levon Helm? What, what, what touches you the most about his life and his music, Sandra? Well, as a person, he was just an amazing, caring, loving person. And uh, having interviewed a lot of people that knew Levon throughout his life, uh, you know, they're still really mourning his loss. They miss him so much. And I think um, just on a personal level, without his uh, great talents as a musician, I just think that on its own is a really successful life. Um, as a musician, he uh, influenced a lot of other people. Um, I was privileged to speak with uh, drummer Steve Jordan and Jim Keltner. And Jim Keltner told me that um, Levon was a profound influence on his drumming as well as on many others. And another aspect of Levon's musicianship was his ability um, to play and sing at the same time with such fluidity and independence. And that was something that Steve Jordan brought up with me. Uh, it was like two separate people. And it's very difficult to drum in a way and sing in another way. Um, and Levon was a real master at that. And then, of course, there's his legacy as a vocalist. Um, 
He, he was a powerhouse singer, and uh, Rolling Stone listed him on their list of hun- the 100 greatest singers. Thanks for listening to Martin Bandike Undercovers for February 2021. Our interview was with Sandra B. Tews about her book, Levon, From Down in the Delta to the Birth of the Band and Beyond. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library. Street.